This is Philip Meyer, welcoming you to another episode of Talking About Platforms. We present and discuss relevant discoveries from the field of platform research. Hi, I'm Daniel Trabucchi. In every episode, we have a guest sharing with us one of his or her latest papers on platforms to make it accessible for everyone. And with that, let's jump right into the conversation. Welcome to a new episode of Talking About Platforms. Today, we, as always, have a very exciting guest. Um, hi, Andreas. Hi, nice to meet you and thanks for having me. Nice to meet you too. And hi to my regular co-host. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Philippe. Hi, Andreas. So Andreas uh, is Andreas Hein, Dr. Andreas Hein. Uh, he is uh, head of the research group Digital Platforms and E-Government at the Technical University in Munich. Um, Andreas has a very, very strong uh, track record in publishing about digital platforms and digital platform ecosystems. Um, also, which is very interesting, especially for me, um, with some very interesting work about B2B platforms. And that's also what we will talk about as part of the paper discussion in a few minutes. But before we jump into the paper, Daniel. Well, my usual question, you know, this podcast is, is titled Talking About Platforms. So all the people that come here talk about platforms, but not all the people that actually came here had the same view on this very nice word that is uh, often used in very different ways. So the question is twofold. On the one hand, uh, what's a platform to you? But more interestingly, also to know you a, a bit as a, as a person, how you end up studying platforms, how you end up here? Yeah, uh, thanks, Daniel. <laughs> um, two excellent questions. And I think the first one, so what is a platform? Um, that was basically the story of the paper I'm going to present because when you start with the literature, it can be quite overwhelming and you don't really know what it is and what it can be. So having now all um, the, the experience I have today, I would say it's basically a marketplace like a farmer's market where you have supply and demand meeting on a platform, which is like the marketplace. And then the marketplace orchestrates interactions between supply and demand. And that's basically it on a very, very simple level, a transaction platform. And how did I get like first involved with platforms? I think it was 2016 uh, when I worked with Maximilian Schreieck, who's also a co-author of many of the papers we've written together. Um, and it started as, as a research project. I was a master's student at TUM, and he introduced me into platform. It was fast, uh, our very first paper for both of us, and um, we, we conducted research on governance mechanisms of, of platforms and how platforms govern those interactions between supply and demand. Very cool. Thank you for, for sharing, Andreas. Yeah, you, you teased it already, um, and I think it's a, it's a good time to to quickly introduce the paper that we're going to talk about and then give you the room to introduce the paper and also elaborate on, on your understanding about uh, digital platforms. Because as you said, uh, the paper is all about uh, all about that, even in the title. The title is Digital Platform Ecosystems, uh, very descriptive, very on point. The authors are, and I hope I, I, I don't butcher their, their names, um, Andreas, of course, first author, and then Maximilian Schreieck, and uh, we have Tobias, uh, Riazano, 
we have David Zotosetzke, we have Manuel Wiesche, Markus Böhm and Helmut Kretschmer. The paper is published in Electronic Markets, Great Information Systems Journal in 2020. Andreas, please tell us a bit about your wonderful work. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, maybe first of all, we can start with the names because there are quite a lot of names on the paper. Um, that is because at the chair, we had uh, a platform research group called Platformistas. Unfortunately, only males. So that's why the name <laughs> came into emergence. And yeah, we asked. So every every time we had like a new PhD student started at our research group, we always had the issue explaining what a platform is what it is not and what information is necessary so um the the idea came into mind that we need to to write a foundational paper because it was also quite hard to to have like a common definition of what a digital platform ecosystem is and what it is not because most papers are, are like very complex and highly theoretical and and it's it's very hard to get like a, a tangible uh, definition i would say and, and that was basically the starting point. So we all threw our like experience empirical data together and we tried to make sense on the different kinds of and types of digital platform. So in essence, the paper is about what is a platform, digital platform ecosystem, and is a digital platform ecosystem equal to a digital platform ecosystem? Um, and um, coming to the paper or, or also like the, the, the main figure, which is like figure one, um, you can see... Um, the, the three building blocks uh, we created, where we say most important is probably in the middle. So this is like where the orchestration between um, supply and demand is taking place. And we see um, two um, big value um, creating mechanisms. The first one is transaction. So when you're uh, going back to the farmer's market, what is taking place? So on the farmer's market, people meet, supply and demand meet, and then they um, transact. And this is what a digital platform um, facilitates. So when you're thinking of Airbnb, of Uber, so all those are like very traditional um, transaction platforms. And um, they foster on the one hand side economies of scale for the platform owner, because I mean, it's very easy to get new um, standardized products like an Airbnb hotel on the platform. It's very systemized. And on the other, on the other hand, you have the so-called super modularity. So no, what is that quite complex term, but it's quite easily explained, I would say, when you're thinking of an app store. So more apps make the whole app store more valuable. And there you, you can see that you have a network effects taking off. And, and this is effectively um, the concept of digital platforms so that they extend the, 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 the space usually you have in physical marketplaces. In digital ones, you can like, basically extended without any limits, uh, basically. I mean, of course, there are limits because you, you don't have endless capacity. But then again, I mean, uh, the costs to like for, for any new new uh, application on the marketplace is, is, is relatively low. So this is the one hand side of platforms we see. But then again, there are other platforms or other value creating mechanisms. And this is innovation. Uh, innovation means that you can extend the platform with new innovative innovative modules. So, for example, we see that the platform owner, for example, um, Apple can extend the platform with new APIs and SDKs. Those are called in, in, in research terms affordances. So you can do stuff with it. 
So with an um, AR kit so or AI kit, so, um, you can um, develop um, solutions that are based on like big data approaches. And then you can, um, for example, have like artificial intelligence algorithms that you can reuse um, to, to create novel, new, innovative modules or apps. You can use um, augmented reality, for example, um, to, to develop new, new services. And therefore, the platform owner has like a very good tool at hand to extend the affordances, so what people can do um, with the digital platform. But on the other hand, you also have generativity. And this is basically that um, there are a high variety of different third-party developers, all bringing in different capacities, different capabilities, uh, different experiences, and, and they can create then, based on all those different attributes, novel solutions. And this is exactly where when um, um, Marshall uh, told us about inverting the firm. So we see that the complementers are now being engaged in the value creation, in the innovation process. And those are probably um, the most fundamental uh, value creating mechanism that's, that you can always observe on digital platforms. Um, the other two um, important dimensions is that we see a different type of centrality on the platform owner. And this is mostly related to um, to our work on, on governance mechanisms. So we see those single owners where you have Apple having like 100% control over the App Store and they can um, enact very tight control over the ecosystem. Then we can see con consortia like Cloud Foundry where you see there are different owners and they all share ownership and they govern uh, the digital platform ecosystem with supply and demand in a more jointly approach. And then, I mean, I think this is uh, work uh, Daniel also did research on. You have more decentralized um, uh, digital platform ecosystems. So then this is all about like everyone has um, a say, so to speak. It's a more democratic approach, um, but also tougher to govern. Uh, so, but then again, I mean, you can see the different facets already emerging. And also on the complementer side, you see that not every... Um, third-party developer is equal. There are more strategic partnerships that extend the platform, and then there are more like autonomous uh, um, complementers, so to speak. And um, based on this coupling, I mean, it's easier to integrate those autonomous in, in a large scale, but then again, probably they are not that good for like very big strategic new uh, further development of the platform core. So there you need strategic partnerships as well. And this at a glance, I would say, shows the whole complexity of digital platform ecosystems and different facets based on building stones. You know, I, I really liked your paper that I'll be honest, I haven't written, uh, I haven't read it for today's episode because I read it when you publish it. And I think I cited it a couple of times and uh, uh, you were mentioning it. I think our research meet in various points. Uh, we did some studies uh, on the value drivers. You were referring to the decentralization. Sometimes we probably use uh, some different words or different frameworks to read the platforms, but uh, uh, we definitely, we are definitely aligned in the kind of uh, businesses and business structure and business models we are looking at. Something that I always wondered reading your paper and thinking about it is where you see the point of difference might be uh maybe it's maybe too much but still the line between the platform and, and the pure ecosystem 
How would you define them differently? What's the main difference in your opinion? I have an idea, but as far as I understood, there is not a common answer yeah. to this. Yeah, I mean, that that's a brilliant question. And I'm not sure if you know um, the, the paper about Hollandistic perspectives and Holands. Um, so this is basically a hierarchy where you see, so you have like a digital platform and then probably tightly coupled partners. And then on top, there are more autonomous partners. And then there are other platforms. So also like platforms are connected to other platforms. And with um, with the concept of Holland, you're able to explain how they integrate into new ecosystem, but also how they ensure their integrity uh, compared to other ecosystems. And, and I think this is a very compelling approach to define where an ecosystem starts and ends, because I mean, ideally they are all integrated, they are all systems and systems. Um, but then again, if they probably are, or if complementers are probably only like uh, contributing to your platform and not multi-homing. So multi-homing is like, they um, offer their products also on, on competitive platforms. Then probably they are only in your ecosystem. But then again, if they start multi-homing, you see that they are already at the intersection between different ecosystems and it becomes messy and complex. So that's a brilliant question. And I think the perspective of Holands can, can, can add some light into this discussion. But then again, this is a, a very early discussion we should have definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, you know the parallelism between uh, these systems and an ecosystem is absolutely appealing, but it's also going with the same complexity yeah. of uh, of that kind of systems. So it's it's difficult to to draw the line and to have a, a a unique answer there. For sure, the kind of interrelationships that exist among platforms, uh, and I think we can see it in almost all the types. Of platforms we can think of it's it's absolutely absolutely uh real and, and and relevant and there's a lot of implications what i very much much like about that particular paper is that you differentiate between or based on platform ownership i think this is a very novel part um that i haven't like read in in, in that uh let's let's say so explicit and 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 approachable I mean, I, I know the work from, from Michael Jacobides, for example, who describes the platform ecosystems or platforms then as meta uh, organizations itself. Um, but I think you make it um, much more um, approachable. And what I think is very interesting, because I see this in, in my research in, in one or two cases. Um, for example, I looked into the Adamos uh, case, uh, an industrial IoT platform consortia um, in, based in Germany. Um, and I, if I'm not wrong, then you also looked into into that particular case, at least in your, I think in your group that you did, which is a con consortia and, and you touch consortia as one of the potential um, ownership constellations. Um, but I don't think that there are so many more very successful cases. And I'm even not so sure how successful Adamos actually is, to be honest. Um, and that, that would be my question in, in your direction, not to judge uh, Adamos, but maybe to, to elaborate a bit on the, on the challenges of shared ownership when it comes to uh, digital platforms. Yeah, 100%. So uh, IoT platforms or business-to-business -business platforms are inherently different, and especially in the IoT context. I think we had a very, very early stage. Um, you, you've mentioned Adamos. You could also go back to, to Predix. 
which uh, glamorously failed and yeah was not successful as a platform but i think also in germany we have some very good examples where they tried to set up iot platforms um but they they are not there yet and especially not there comparing it to like b2c platforms and this is exactly also referring to, to Daniel's questions about ecosystems because the ecosystem is different. Uh, because in, in, in the business-to-business -business world, you want interoperability. You don't want to, to reduce the switching costs because there is no winner-take-all market. Because uh, machines need to talk to other machines and they need to talk to your assembly line and they need to talk to other uh, ERP systems, for example. So there is this inherent complexity that I think those big players start to acknowledge, and there um, the, the question about those consortia com comes into play, because we see that those big platforms, especially if you look at Siemens, for example, they start to uh, form those consortia where they um, bring in different partners well, like manufacturing companies and, and what else to really align on a strategy because they um, had those insights that we alone cannot fix it, and we will probably never be the one a hand of God who governs the whole ecosystem. And this is exactly, I think, a very, very important insight, uh, but it's slowly emerging, I would say. So this is like an unfolding um, phenomenon, and we will see how those consortia really will organize themselves, how they govern the ecosystem. Will they use like distributed ledger technology to ensure trust between those different parties? Because that's also a, a very big question mark. So how do you um, really enforce trust between those different entities who are in some cases competitors, uh, but they all need to work together to share data, to make data like end-to-end um, -end, uh, available and to, to nurture all the benefits of digital transformations. Um, so excellent questions. And I see this is, I would say this is definitely something we need to closely observe and, and, and really try to, to get novel insights upon. Uh, on this, uh, I would like to, to ask you something more. I always work in the B2C world, mainly. So uh, I, I thought about the B2B world, then I met Philip, and I understood that that was its world. And, <laughs> and I, I never really tried to, to develop something there. But uh, um, when teaching about platforms and uh, business model innovation and digital transformation, it often happened that in executive education, I end up talking with companies operating mainly in the B2B field that were trying to embrace what I call platform thinking. So this way of fostering innovation through platforms. And uh, uh, the very first thing that they ask uh, are basically the following. Success cases, and Philip gave me some, but I don't have many <laughs> of them. And uh, many questions about, uh, yeah, you were talking about uh, data and trust uh, in sharing data, but even more, you enter in this dynamic of almost, uh, you know, trying to protect your own business while you are dealing with potentially competitors and all these competition mechanisms. I was wondering, do you have some... Uh, cool cases to share with our listeners of uh, successful consortia or B2B ecosystems, platforms, or something that, that go in that direction. And uh, uh, if, you, if you've done some thoughts on how to 
start creating this uh, this trust uh, and this uh, competition yeah yeah that's a very good question so i have cases but unfortunately i cannot share the names exactly due to the reasons you just <laughs> mentioned because yeah they want to yeah protect the intellectual property and to be honest some of the cases are failure cases so they tried but they failed because they hadn't this shift in mindset in the mindset like you refer to it as platform thinking and this is exactly what they need to learn first so usually they are stick in in their own world in their own former identity i would say uh, where they protect all the information where they don't share any data and where they want to be in control but being part of a platform ecosystems means means also like to let go control and become part and co-create value and this is, I think, a cultural change that needs to take place. And we see that especially like incumbent companies that are like on the market for like 30, 40 years, uh, for them, it's inherently hard to, to, to learn this lesson. For newer companies, uh, we see that this is working and, and they like grew up in such a world where you share data and you see the benefit of sharing data and sharing intellectual property. So um, that's why I think it's probably especially promising to see how those established firms really can change their organizational identity to become more platform focused, to, to really acknowledge that they need to share data and be part of an ecosystem. And so that's a brilliant question, but we don't have any good answer or compelling answer yet, unfortunately. Just thinking out loud while you were talking, in my view, it's like uh, if moving in the B2B, you kind of have two jumps instead of one. When we deal with platform thinking in consumer-oriented company, there is this shift from the linear value chain and the traditional company towards the platform-based organization. There are companies that develop many successful consortia, many standards were created by consortia, but it's something that usually starts first creating together the technology in a collaborative way that will end up in a competition, but starting, well, having in mind a linear value chain then. You create the, v the VHS or the DVD standard, you do it collaboratively, but then you go back in your comfort zone. While I guess in this discussion going towards the ecosystem, we've got two jumps. The first is starting to collaborate with someone to create something together and then to create the platform on top of it. So probably there are two jumps that make this even more complicated. And so I think it's reasonable that uh, we find more easily unsuccessful uh, cases. Maybe dividing the two problems clearly can actually help in uh, in approaching them sure and and if i if i can chip in so this this is a wonderful example and um it also illustrates that this is a bigger problem than only between two companies but it's it's more not even on a national but i would say on a supranational level so it's between countries and that's when you know about like the the european union initiatives about gaia x um, or something like that where they try to create like at least a shared data rooms and, and what else and and it's inherently hard for them to bring all those players on board and decide like on different data standards and and how to like share and and, and collaborate uh, together but but it's it's starting and it's a process and it it, it 
it takes some time. And, and that's exactly what we are observing. So it, it's it's unfolding. And that's what I think is, is quite interesting, seeing uh, or watching the process unfolding and trying to, to, to learn our lessons and compare it to like other concepts we know from literature, like standard setting and, and what else. So this is definitely something we know. Um, but in the platform context, I think there, there are like different mechanisms that we need to observe. What I thought yep. about when I was when I was reading reading your your paper um, first, I I like that you also introduce because this is not the literature that, that I normally read. So I, I don't read so heavily in in information systems. Um, so I, I very much like to use your paper to understand the terms of boundary resources and affordances, um, right? So what are the interfaces that uh, users and complementers can interact with the platform and what do these interfaces signal? What do they like um, invite people to do? What are the, the, the possibilities like framing as affordances? Um, and I think it's this this adds a bit to the to the discussion discussion that you that you just just opened um, by asking how to bring companies, actors together to form different or common standards and enable all parties to form a, a maybe a platform together in, in, the, in, this, in the idea of Gaia-X. And I'm a bit involved in, uh, in, in a Gaia-X uh, project. There, they try to build the whole ecosystem very use case driven. So on the one hand, you have teams that are framing the governance that try to set, as you said, standards and build the infrastructure in a modular way, and then really come from a what are potential use cases to use this these data rooms and um, this platform infrastructure, and and really add value to a known and current problem, right? Um, when I go back to the to the boundary resources and think about software development kits, think about um, other like let's say rather passive interfaces. Uh, what I always ask myself when I when I think about some established traditional industries and think about these very technical, very here you have it. Um, this is how it works. Maybe you get a manual uh, uh, to to understand how these SDKs actually work. But in the end, you need to have some sophistical technical understanding to make use of the platform, even if it's already there. Uh, if you think about, I don't know, um, a barbershop. Uh, to, so a barbershop needs a very, very approachable uh, interface to make use of a platform, no matter how good the platform idea in itself is, right? Is this something, is this a factor when, you, when we think about the ecosystem, the complementers, and maybe trying to understand also the complementer and the user side that you think uh, gets, gets the, the right attention? Or is this something that, that you maybe also look, look into in, in your research? Yeah, from both perspectives, I would say definitely yes. So when you're looking at Siemens and, and the Mindsphere, I mean, was not successful. Um, then they bought Mendix. Um, Mendix is a low-code platform. So this is exactly the topic you're referring to. So they, they are providing like snippets and boilerplate code. So then they make it very easy for complementers to really develop applications because they also learned it the hard way that 
it's it's quite hard to because you need a lot of experts that you don't have in those companies because they are not digital companies they are manufacturing companies so they don't don't have anyone who is like using those boundary resources effectively and and then the other part of the coin is you also need to have a solution in place because usually those platforms don't provide you with the solutions you need to develop the solution yourself based on your own process on your own production line and um, those are very important um, 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 points, and I think that especially the development of low-code or no-code um, systems into digital platforms uh, could have uh, an, a very interesting effect because um, more people get access to the platform, more people can use the boundary resources, uh, and that you have a potential higher generativity because you have a higher variety of different capabilities of different experiences and interests on developing those solutions. Um, this is true for the consumer world and probably also true for the, the business world where we see those um, technologies being introduced right now. But then again, very early stage, but I think especially uh, the combination of low-code and no-code technology is very fruitful in combination with digital platforms because you make it easier and more tangible for all the employees to develop novel solutions. And that's what eventually you want to have. Because always when you want a platform to kick off, you want to have value add. And this is why I think that the use case approach you you, you mentioned about GaiaX is, is exactly right, because you want to have a value add. And if you don't see any value add, you will not use the platform any longer. Yeah, yeah there, I mean, you end, you end your paper on a, a paragraph about uh, make or join uh, decisions in, in digital platform ecosystems. Um, and I mean, in, in the in the consumer-facing world, you often see actors entering in an industry that weren't present before. So uh, the the guys who founded Airbnb weren't active in in the hotel industry before. Uh, Kalanick wasn't active as a taxi driver before he founded uh, Uber, right? What is the role? Because I know you do also lots of work in in, in digital transformation and um, in, in in industry related industries um, or like industrial industries um, what is the role of industry knowledge really understanding maybe more conflict uh, complex um, value propositions and and value needs from from customers um, in these in these settings compared to having all these people entering new industries in, in consumer markets and quote unquote disrupting so is there a disruption factor also in these uh, in these settings that you are uh, looking into, or is it maybe uh, working out in a in a different way? Yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> and I would say a very important factor is that you forget what you have done before. So that's exactly why all those new players were able to come up with novel solutions because they were not stuck in their organizational routines. It's quite hard to innovate when you are in 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 a sweet spot where you don't need to do anything. Because you, you innovators dilemma, traditional, I would say. Um, but then again, it's it's quite hard to think out of the box, out of a process you already know that is lived within your company, that is based on your capabilities. Um, and this is what we see when when we are going to like traditional incumbent firms that produce stuff. Also, like uh, yesterday, we've been to the emergency room because we have an, a project where we are using artificial intelligence to increase the workflow. Um, in, in, in the emergency room. Um, and they are so stuck to their own processes that they don't see the value out of using technology. 
first of all, they don't understand what technology can do and that there's a difference between um, digitization and digital transformation. So the former is just like you transfer, like you, you scan in the worst example, like a, a page, and then you have it as a PDF, but then you cannot do anything with it. And digital transformation is really rethinking the process fundamentally. And, and this is also like an art you need to learn. So you need to be able to forget what you've done to distance yourself from your own routines, from your own experiences, to come up with a novel solution. And that's why I think it's also part of the story why some of the firms you mentioned were able to disrupt um, a, a whole industry because they had this distance and they were not captured in all those routines. While I was listening to the two of you talking, uh, uh, I was thinking the following things. At the beginning, I said uh, we are often looking at the same things using different labels, and this is probably going beyond uh, platforms. So you talk a lot about digital transformation, also in terms of organizational routines and changing. We talk about business transformation, and uh, uh, we talk about uh, the human side of innovation. So going through change, change processes for people. And something I always say is, is that platform-centered in our daily life as users, as consumers, in an incredible way over the last uh, 10 years. It looks like much more, but it's probably 10 years. 10 years ago, many of those platforms existed, but they were not even close to what they are today in terms of actual usage. Well, when we enter in our offices, especially before COVID, but even today, we go back uh, and we are Fred Fleeston that uh, not only we're not using platforms, but uh, we often struggle even with digital technologies not related to, to a platform. And I was wondering if, uh, since I always, well, I tend to look mainly at uh, B2C companies, if you see this uh, happening even more or not in the B2B world. Because what I always had in mind is that many digital technologies tend to go more naturally towards a platform dimension. So it might be easier for people to accept them and maybe more difficult from a business perspective to accept that kind of mechanism. Indeed, the various data-driven business models are usually accepted more easily in a B2B company. Then maybe it's closed. You are not opening it up to other partners, but it's easier to find those mechanisms there because you tend to be a bit more open to those technologies or you already had those data for something else. Since you are more in the B2B world, do you agree on this? You disagree? No, I, I would say I agree. So it, it's mostly like the maturity. I mean, I think the same holds true like for the B2C companies. When you look about Salesforce, ServiceNow, mm -hmm. they are all very successful B2B platforms, but mm -hmm. they were more like more or less born into this digital world and they hadn't this, this organizational routines and also legacy systems to, to implement a digital platform because it's also from a technological perspective, not that easy to implement a digital platform because you 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 need like a, a database that where you, all the data is, is connected. You need to have like interoperability and um, you, need, you need to have some degree of modularization. And that's not 
that's not true for most of the companies who are now thinking, how can we become a digital platform? Or how can't we become one? And, and that's inherently necessary to, to, to really go that step forward. And then capital, I mean, also very important besides of the human factor. But but you mentioned like also like the, the human perspective or like the perspective of the top management team. And I think, again, this comes back to the first discussion we had about the mindset of digital platforms. Mm-hmm. Think about like a CFO. You have totally different KPIs when you're going the platform way. You have network effects. You will probably... Uh, you will probably have uh, like a lot of debt in the first years because you need to build it. Uh, but then again, if you can nurture those network effects, I mean, uh, you you will end up successfully. Same for marketing, because you don't do the marketing any longer only within your own company, but you use your ecosystem mm-hmm. like Instagram and Facebook do. And you can go through every top management position in the in the board. And for every one of them, something is changing fundamentally with digital platforms. And this is also very important because uh, I don't have the data to prove that, but I mean, it would be an interesting story or or paper to write to see how like the board member or the top management team really needs to undergo this change of mind to really acknowledge that, hey, we are a digital platform company now and we need to work fundamentally different. I think when we talk about B2B platforms, then it's also very important to make clear that this field in itself is so diverse and 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 so broad right um i recently read in i think it was anderson at all 2022 i don't remember the journal i don't remember the title um but i remember that the authors introduced a lower letter b to lower letter b company and uh andreas i don't know if you're familiar um with, with that distinction um and and describe this as a platform that is closer to to B two C, so that like the, the the lower letter B are small businesses, and then you have these like small business interacting with small businesses, and these platforms have more consumer oriented platform characteristics. So network effects play a bigger role, and and they are less like capital B to capital B. So this is one one interesting uh, distinction in in my opinion. And then of course it plays a big role. You have the consumer and someone who really wants to consume some value in these uh, uh, b2c platforms um, and they for, for them like for, for and, and i mean we know this when we look at ourselves um, many many platforms that we use they just serve a need a very very small need in a, in a long long day that we have and for the businesses if they enter a platform and adopt the platform then they only do this in a field where all, their whole business is often all about, right? So this is something they really care about. They really put a lot of time into already, right? So um, the hurdle uh, to, to really make a decision is, is much, much uh, higher, not just on the technical level. I mean, I download an app, I don't like it, I delete it. That's easy, right? And, and in, the, in the B2B yeah. world, it's, it's a completely different, um, different game. So I would say these are like some fundamental changes that I would like to... And if- if I, if I can add this, and it's also like, in, in some cases, very critical to their like operational efficiency. So for example, when you're thinking I'm now downloading or, or using this AI, AI application to uh, optimize my uh, throughput time, and then you see that this application or, or software has an, like a bug or an error in it, 
and then your whole assembly line is on still stop on standstill, then I mean you're basically screwed because it's it, the costs are so immense. And this is what you don't do with a platform. So that's why you need a more tight, tightly coupled approach. And then when we come back to the paper I introduced in the beginning, we see that different complementers and different like um designs of ecosystems are necessary to really uh, make a platform working. And in, in because not every platform is, is the same. Also, again, fits very good to the narrative we discussed at the beginning, because we see small B um, business to business platform ecosystems might work differently than big B business to business platform ecosystems. And also the user plays probably a very important role that is under-researched, I would say, because then again, some of them want to do critical business critical processes. And then when Daniel says he does B2C research, some of them just wanted like to, to kill idle time or something like that. And it's fundamentally different how you really um, use the platform then. Oh, in the advising world, I entered in touch with the with two B2B companies, not B2B platforms, trying to go for a platform thinking approach. And in both cases, something truly strange to me happened, but probably, I think at least partially, is related with the B2B nature, which is the fact that these companies were building a technological platform. So they had what they called the platform in to manage data, to possibly see changes, but we're struggling because uh, what was missing was not the strategic direction, that was clear, but the strategic model around the platform. So the business model of the platform somehow, because I think it goes back to that mindset that you need to shift moving from a linear value chain towards a platform. And it goes back to what we were saying before, the technological shift is potentially easier while the business model or the operational model shift is much more related to a wider mindset and a wider, uh, you call them routines, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's cool, that need to change and require much more time and, and difficulties probably. So talking about all these things that we cannot solve right now talking and to go towards the closing of this episode, what are you working on and or what you see in the future of platforms? Mm -hmm. So one topic, and that was quite a surprise, we, we went to the topic by accident, is especially this cultural approach or identity approach. So how can firms change their identity? from being like a, a pure producer to being then a more um, service-oriented platform, either participant or platform owner. And again, this change is not easy and, and there are different um, um, avenues you need to, to, to go through and really challenges to tackle. Um, so that's definitely one topic. And um, I'm also focusing more on the complementary perspective now um, to see how complementers aggregate, how complementers organize themselves in platform ecosystems because again the world is not that simple that all complementers are autonomous but we see obviously something that we know about Taylorism they specialize they aggregate and then there are different power dynamics in, in platform ecosystems that platform owners need to deal with, with but that also change the landscape of the platform ecosystem so those are two two very interesting um, avenues I'm, I'm currently working on revisions and I'm writing papers on. 
but I think you feel the pain about revisions and <laughs> working on those topics. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> very, uh, very exciting. Andreas, I, I very much enjoyed uh, today's, today's conversation um, a lot. Before we close, if people in our audience want to follow your work, especially also the new work that you just teased or also find, uh, find, find out about work that you've already um, published and maybe even get in touch what's what's the best way to to approach you if you want to approach me directly you can contact me me via mail and i think that's easiest because mail is always my to-do list and eventually you will get an answer i mean it can take some time but eventually you will um if you're just curious about the research you can uh, check my google scholar profile or research gate and then um, you should have been uh, an update about my research on a regular basis so and, and again, I want to thank the both of you for this like very great initiative. Uh, I wish uh, you had this podcast already like uh, 2016 because then <laughs> there there wouldn't be any need to write such a paper we discussed today. So um, great hosts and uh, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thank you very much for being here with us, Andreas. It was very cool to finally talk with you after reading your paper. And let's hope that in five years, we will have the people that will be writing paper because of this podcast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking About Platforms. To support our work, you can rate the episode or leave a comment on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to hit the follow button so you don't miss out the coming episodes. If you want to look up at the papers we have discussed or other topics we addressed, visit talkingaboutplatforms.com. There you can find the show notes and get in touch with us. Until next time, when we're again talking about platforms.